Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? High drive. Left field. It is out of here. This is a simple game. You throw the ball. You hit the ball. You catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby and Andy McCullough on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Episode 7 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and special guest Stephen Nesbitt. We're going to talk baseball. We're going to revisit hot takes, come up with new hot takes. We're just going to burn your freaking ears off. All right, Andy, how are you doing? Andy, Andy McCullough is recovering from a case of the COVID. You okay these days? I feel better, Grant. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I think last week's episode with uh, Fabian was like my last bit of health. I It wasn't from Fabian. I don't think that's how the disease uh, <laughs> circulates through podcasts. But uh, yeah, I had a, had a bit of a rough week, but uh, back feeling better and uh, hopefully going to be back out of the ballpark soon. All right. And we have a friend of the program, Stephen Nesbitt, who is uh, our all-time leader in appearances on this podcast. He's now uh, been here twice. Uh, is it as fun the second time? Or are you as jazzed up? Oh, yeah, I definitely am. And I think we're off to a great start because Grant asked how we were doing. We both gave a good thumbs up. That's great over the Zoom. Not so good over the podcast. Not 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 what the airwaves demand. The all thumbs up podcast. Just a bunch of people like winking at each other on Zoom and giving thumbs up. It would be compelling listening. We thought we would revisit our first episode of the season where we had hot takes and we wanted to kind of check in on those hot takes and see where they were if you wanted to do a, a mulligan. I don't know if you do a mulligan. I don't really play golf that well. But if you wanted to take a mulligan... Or if you wanted to double down on your hot take. So let's start with, uh, I think, Stephen, you had a pretty spicy one with Chris Bassett getting Cy Young votes, the only member of the Mets getting Cy Young votes. How are you feeling about that? Probably better than I actually expected to feel a month (laughs) and a half into the season. So Chris Bassett, uh, I'm looking at the starting rotation here in New York. Of course, we don't have Jacob deGrom back yet. But he's been great. Seven starts, 234 ERA. Max Scherzer, uh, well, he's also been good. Tyler McGill was great uh, and got blown up one start and then is on the injured list. So I think what I meant to say was that rather than them only having one Cy Young candidate, I meant that everyone except Jacob deGrom would probably be a Cy Young candidate. That would have been my revised hot take. But no, I feel pretty good about this. I mean, Bassett's been good. He was someone I, I thought was criminally underrated coming over from Oakland, uh, who is, we're going to take a look at the A's in one of our other hot takes, but I, I feel pretty good about it. He's a good, good pitcher. And I think he was, uh, I mean, Andy called it out as just a horrible take, but I think it's trending pretty well right now. I mean, it's still a bad, t- like whatever, like it's not a good take. 
<laughs> but like, yes, Bassett has been good. Bassett, Bassett has been good. He's done what the Mets, you know, acquired him to do. You know, he obviously has a slightly lower ERA than Scherzer. The peripherals favor Scherzer. The track record favors Scherzer. Scherzer. You know, I I, I think. What Nez, I believe, was trying to make was the point he was trying to make was that, you know, Scherzer and DeGrom have significant injury risk and Bassett is, uh, you know, pretty steady, steady sort of Eddie. And he's been that so far. Um, you know, DeGrom and DeGrom has kind of lived up to the, you know, Nez's take of not being healthy. He continues to, like, not be near a mound. Uh, and Scherzer has been really good. Um, but again, he's 37. He throws hard, you know, and like he it has sort of cooked himself to the point of, you know, physical collapse in two of the last three seasons. So we'll see. But the Mets are good. I've spent a bunch of time around them this year. They're a good club. They do a lot of things well. I don't know if I brought this up the first time, but I'm not, the more I think about it, I'm not sure how spicy this take is. If only because you have three pitchers on the uh, Mets who have finished in the top 10 in Cy Young voting. Two of them have done it two years in a row. That would be DeGrom and Bassett. Like, it's not DeGrom and Scherzer who have done it two years in a row. Chris Bassett has finished in the top 10 of Cy Young voting twice in the last two years, each of the last two years. It's more just a nod to DeGrom's going to be hurt and Scherzer's going to be old. And I call you out on that spicy take. I think you that's like medium. That is like... Uh, that's why I said it sucked. Because, okay. Oh, okay. Because, like, it's just a hot take is saying, no, the A's are good. You know, like that's how you put some heat. So like a cake. hot take is like when you go to Taco Bell and you ask for hot sauce. And if you don't get Diablo sauce or fire sauce, their hot sauce is, is pretty, pretty lame. You know what I mean? It's like it's kind of weak, weak sauce, literal weak sauce. Mild's more my, my temperature anyway. So this is a... a um, it's a mild take. A mild take. And I think as far as mild takes go, it's looking pretty good right now. I mean, it's still... Re- it's a very good mild take. I it's guess. a great mild take. That's my specialty. And it, it still requires... Max Scherzer dropping out of things. And so I, that was always going to be the hardest part of really cashing this ticket was that DeGrom not not being a top five finisher was probably pretty likely given his injury condition at the start of the season. But uh, Scherzer, still good. Still good at pitching. And as long as he stays healthy, I, he'll probably be up in the discussion as well. So my mild take, I'm, I'm feeling okay. I, I guess I'll stick with it right now. I will say that every time I see a box score and I see that Bassett has pitched another complete game, I think Stephen Nesbitt. You know, like you are the wind that whispers in my ear every time he has a, a good take because, it, yeah, it made me it got me thinking about Chris Bassett. I just wish we had recorded before I drafted my fantasy baseball team. How's everyone's fantasy baseball team doing, by the way? I appreciate that this is one of the rules you're allowed to have on the podcast. <laughs> I, I listened to that episode. Andy looks a lot like a guy who doesn't have a fantasy team. I will say I am playing uh, for the first time since middle school and have Chris Bassett in one of my leagues and I feel great about it. I also had Tyler McGill and one Max of Scherzer, your leagues. So. Yeah, Dan Barbarisi invited me to a to a league, oh, and that man, got it started. And then my famous last my, words. My buddy with a similar last name to you, Brady McCullough, said, "Hey, let's start up a baseball league." So I I joined another one. So I'm uh, I just dove in the deep end. All right, I'll move on to my spicy take, which is the San Diego Padres were going to. I don't know what did I, what, did I say? Win the division? Win the World Series? How wacky did I get? I think it was just win the division. Okay, win the division. It looks on paper looks okay. You know, they're a half game behind the Dodgers as of this recording. I will say I do not trust how they are 22 and 13. They are 22 and 13 in the most awesome way possible, I think. Basically, their their strategy is Eric Hosmer and Manny Machado do everything. And that's an oversimplification. They have other good things going on with Joe Musgrove and Mackenzie Gore. But 
it is like a really top heavy kind of production that they are getting. And before I double down on my prediction, I'm gonna need to see something from from Jake Cronenworth. Like I need to see signs of life from Trent Grisham. I need to see somebody other than Eric Hosmer leading the charge. And listen, I watched a Giants team last year that had renaissance seasons from Brandon Crawford. So I'm not gonna say a mid thirties guy just can't sustain this because we've seen it. We've seen it recent years with different players. I just need to see something a little bit more before I double down. It's not making me look stupid yet, but I, I don't know. I'm not trusting the Padres 100% just yet. People forget how awesome a baseball Eric Hosmer is. I understand it's partially because he's been kind of hitting the ball in the ground for like three or four straight years, but Eric Hosmer is like a you know top three overall pick. Uh, you know, multi-time all-star, multi-time gold glover, you know, was good enough to get at least two, you know, nine-figure contract offers. So, like, if you're going to bet on guys who, you know, obviously he's probably not going to hit 350 all year, right? But if you're going to bet on guys who can rebound, you betting on elite talent is not the worst idea in the world. However, with Hosmer, obviously, he's had the track record. The issue of the ground balls versus the, you know, the fly ball stuff has been, has been there for a long while. Well, the thing that is really interesting to me about the Padres, right? Is like, okay, you're betting on regression, but who's going to regress more? Like are Machado and Machado and Hosmer are going to come down, right? But like Grisham and Will Myers and Crony, like they're going to come up, right? Like those guys aren't, you know, 65 OPS plus guys. It's just a question of okay, like when things sort of stabilize, like where's it where's it going to play out, I guess. And 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 at what time is the stabilization going to happen? Because like if theoretically Hosmer and Machado like went in the toilet for 3 weeks, right? That could be a real problem if it happened right now, I guess. So it's kind of just figuring out like how because it's been such a like top like a top uh, top heavy versus you know just guys just who are below the waterline offensively like it, it may it's gonna make for a very interesting summer I think for San Diego being the team that reaches for what's left of Robinson Cano is not really where the Padres wanted to be in the middle of May that's where we are they the, like Andy said they have needs up and down the lineup except for Hosmer and Machado who have who have been awesome. It's it's two guys batting 350 and then a bunch of like 220s. One guy I thought I was expecting quite a bit from this year because it's a good ballpark for him. Luke Voigt has not been good. He's been injured, but also just not good. It seemed like a situation that was almost tailor-made for him in that, well, we, we thought maybe Hosmer was going to be showing himself to the bench or maybe being traded or dumped at some point the way things were looking last season and so even more of an opportunity for him and he's been relegated to pretty much dh duties because they don't need him at first base right now but that's still a guy who i think has another gear we've seen it the power he had in 2020 leading i think it was the majors and homers uh, but at least the al there are a bunch of guys as i look up and down this lineup where i think you don't need jerks and profar to be a top you know four or five hitter you have grisham you have myers you have Cronenworth, you have Voigt. I think there's enough damage to be done with this lineup, uh, even beyond those top two, and they just haven't tapped into it yet. And they're staying afloat with the much maligned rotation that that Andy liked to to pick on in our in our first episode. I will say that one of my favorite strategies. We talked a little bit about this uh, with regards to the Tigers recently. 
is for a bad team or a team that is otherwise out of consideration or contention to spend a lot of money on expensive free agents and have them in place for whenever we get good again. We're anticipating we will be good again. We see an opportunity right now with Manny Machado. We see an opportunity right now with Eric Hosmer. And I felt last year, especially with Hosmer, that it was looking like a bad strategy and it was making me feel bad about my own preference for the strategy. It made me look dumb because I thought it was such a brilliant strategy. Just you saw the farm system bubbling up and you just spend money and it's like Maglio Dornias and, and Pudge Rodriguez and this time it was Hosmer Machado and then all these prospects come up and wow, we have these guys already. We don't have to go searching for them or trading more prospects for them. And now it's it's almost kind of reverting back to now maybe it's a good idea for the Padres that they have these guys. I don't know specifically Hosmer, definitely Machado, I think, but I, I, I still like the strategy. I, that's my favorite part of the Padres is they're bringing that strategy back. I'm not enjoying the Hosmer slander. No. Uh, well, last year he was, you know, they were they were saying, <laughs> well, we can trade him. We'll just have to package him with C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore and $50 million and we could be rid of him. Maybe that's a good idea. When they signed him, though, I was I wrote an article saying this makes perfect sense, even though you don't get it. You, you silly readers. Uh, I have little respect for you. Trust me. Hosmer on the Padres is a great idea for this reason to have him ready when the Padres are contending again. It's the Jason Worth idea, right? Yes, it's like that's the Nationals with Jason Worth. You know, the, the Tigers had that, as you said. But yeah, it's like you, you put a grown-up in the room uh, <laughs> so that when you're, you know, the player, like the young players get there, they have someone to look to. And, you know, the Padres also, like one of the things they stabilized is, you know, they brought in Bob Melvin, who is on the mend right now, but, uh, you know, has gotten a lot of credit for, you know, things sort of, you know, stabilizing there. You know, speaking of Bob Melvin, and we can just handle this very quickly, um, I was totally right about the A's. Things are going great. Uh, attendance <laughs> has been good. I haven't looked at the official figures, but I'm told that thousands are attending the games each night. They are having an intimate experience in which they are getting to know both the fellow patrons and the local nine. And the team president is not out just randomly trolling people at all times. So I would say that I was right to believe in the A's. We are a pro A's rebuild podcast. Uh, and what's our next uh, segment? I will say that since that hot take that I, I took my uh, daughter to an A's game for her birthday. It was uh, her ninth birthday. And so the whole family invited my parents, uh, my mother-in-law, and we had a section to ourselves on a Sunday. We barbecued with no one within 300 feet of us. We tailgated before the game. You brought a grill into the stadium. <laughs> I mean, you probably could. You probably could. It was for what I look for in attending a baseball game, which is nobody around me. I loved it. It was so perfect. But that's not exactly what everyone else is looking for. And I get that. There's a good article today. I, I read it with Eno Saris and Ken Rosenthal. It's trying to figure out, what are you doing here? Like, why are you not actively trying to fill the stadium? Was it a bad idea to almost double season ticket holding prices? And it's a very good article. And all the questions that I was asking myself, it's, it's just, it's very, very weird. It's a very, very weird situation off the field. And then on on the field, the A's are probably overachieving to get to 15 and 23. Uh, they are hitting as a team 199 with a 268 on base percentage, 306 slugging percentage. Uh, they have hit 22 home runs, which uh, that's like the whole freaking team. They are just not good at hitting the baseball. 
not good and i enjoyed in the story you mentioned from you know saris and ken rosenthal right at the top of the story team president saying i know some people think it's major league but it's not he's just like trust me this is not the plot to a movie we've all seen and we're not trying to show you that we can't handle a team here in oakland and we want to move to vegas trust me always i know i know people are saying that but that's not what we're talking about Always a great time. Listen, I know what I'm doing reminds you of Silence of the Lambs, but (laughs) let me just put this into context. Like, it's just, it's not a good sign. What were they supposed to do? I don't know. Whatever. I think that there is a happy medium between your hot take and the, the cold, hard reality that we're looking at is that, yes, maybe it was time for a rebuild, that they were doing themselves no favors by chasing after mid level free agents where they are in the success cycle. On the same, on the other hand, you should at least make it up to your fans and say, hey, we care about you and we're doing this again. Uh, sorry. Come on back. We're going to do the the treehouse. We're going to do this. We're going to do all these different things to get you back. It was very indelicate how they handled it. And I think it almost intentionally so. And so I think that's, I think we can all agree on that. Well, yeah, it's the difference between what you're doing on a roster level versus what you're doing on an organizational level. And that the story this morning was firmly aimed at what you're doing at an organizational level of why are you not trying harder to get people in the park? Why are you making it more difficult and less likely that people are going to want to get season tickets? These different programs they have to split season ticket packages or, you know, get concession discounts, whatever. Uh, you're taking all those away and they say it's not, it was, uh, you know, losing money for the team, but empty seats are also losing you money. So from a roster standpoint, yeah, there's a slightly overachieving team that has some exciting young players and, uh, isn't a bad watch, but the on an organizational level, and I don't even live on the West Coast. It uh, it seems like it pales in comparison to you know the, the other outreaches getting in other fan bases from organizations uh, in California, especially. I will say that the Angels did draw twelve thousand this weekend, and that's because the Angels were in town. See that smooth segue? Because our next topic, all I do, all I have here on my notepad is just Otani, and I circled it. That's the topic. And I don't think that there's a specific topic. It's just more, we haven't talked about Otani enough on this podcast. And that brings up the question, can we have enough Otani chatter? Is there too much? Is there such a thing as too much Otani in our baseball loving lives? Wasn't that like a thing? Didn't that like, uh, it wasn't that a thing? Yeah. That is, I don't think it's, you know, I didn't necessarily want to get into it, but uh, Michelle Tafoya, who worked for ESPN, I don't follow this stuff that much, but I think she has become a, a, uh, an outrage uh, merchant or something uh, of that nature. And it was more like, Hey, enough of this Otani baseball. She clarified and said, apparently on the broadcast they just kept showing the freaking baseball and it was more just like no that specific baseball get it off the screen and show the game which seems like a fairly reasonable complaint yeah i don't there was clarification that's just an issue of like you know like uh communication and like grammar i guess yeah oh that's not that's well the problem is i think that's her thing though in politics now she's a communications person i would like to be an outrage merchant i think i would be a good i think i could do that well I don't know. I think you could. You could. It, if you got extra cynical and you just uh, had no uh, ethics or – well, I'm kind of describing you. Yeah. Um, you. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I think you could. Is there it. too much Otani? No. There, there's not. There's enough Otani, I think. However, uh, it's the it's the proper amount of Otani because there's a lot of Otani. 
if that makes sense. <laughs> no, I think like, so. I, I don't ever find myself saying, I wonder what's going on with Shohei Otani. I, I, I can find out very quickly, you know, or I don't, I don't really, I don't find myself ever saying, like, I haven't thought about Shohei Otani in a while, if that makes sense. He's presented fairly often. He's the biggest star in the sport. And I guess outside of that, like, yeah, he's great. He's really good. It's the same thing as it always is. I just, I don't know. He's a good, really good player. We're dealing with a, a Shohei right now who is a fine hitter and a great pitcher. And so it sort of brings up the situation that we've wondered about after he wins the MVP last year of like, how good does he have to be at both things to be the runaway MVP? And I think that there's going to be some uh, Shohei fatigue where if you if he has a bad year as a hitter or just a mediocre year, uh, I don't think he's going to win MVP automatically. Uh, I think I think voters will separate that. But we're maybe seeing the first signs of that of a guy who was, I think he, on um, B-War, he's got a he's got 0.8 more. Like he's not going to be running away with anything right now, but he is showing the flip side of what he had last year, which is he was a good pitcher and he's taken even a step forward this year, taking a couple no-hit bids, or at least one, maybe it was just one, but pretty dominant outings. And at the plate so far, he's had the power, but not so much on base, not so much average, and uh, he leads the league in caught stealing. Come on. That's why you can't let, let pitchers run. It's been a good show, hey, and maybe that's where some of the fan level fatigue is going to come in. Is where if you don't have a, a show, hey, who's MVP level or in a normal, I guess, on a, from the hitting side, our fans going to be annoyed when you're talking about him nonstop. I still think he's worthy of being talked about, but he's got a team around him with Trout and Ward and Marsh and, and a bunch of other pitchers. Of course, Reed Detmer is just through the no, no hitter. There's a lot more to talk about around him right now than there was throughout the course of last season. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Who would the reactionary candidate be presented as the Cabrera to his trout in this? Because obviously, right, like if he's a four and a half win pitcher and a four and a half win hitter, it's like, okay, you have to make that person the MVP. But it's like you have to make a, a case for that sort of in the way, you know, with Trout. So who would be the reactionary? Like, I, I don't know. Would it be like Aaron Judge or something like that? Maybe it'd be Trout. That would be incredible. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> if Trout becomes Cabrera? If, if the mask you used to wear becomes your face? That would be incredible. The warrior of the stodgy fan, Mike Trout. Like, he's he's back. He's back, baby. I mean, that would be the greatest what a career possible. Arc. Yeah. That would be the greatest possible outcome. Of the Trout Cabrera Wars, as if Trout became Cabrera. Now, I wonder, my experience, how common it is, because there's some things, like, I stare at Twitter all day, and I follow 700 different baseball accounts, and so what I'm experiencing as my level of Otani input is, I've got a lot of baseball accounts that I follow, and I stare at Twitter all day like an idiot, and so I'm reading about Otani, and I'm seeing things like that. At the same time, I'm not watching a lot of Shohei Otani just because, A, I I cover uh, another team for my day job. B, I have stuff going on in real life. I'm here. I'm there. I'm doing chores. And I'm not... Otani is not appointment television to me. It should be, maybe. But I'm not finding myself sitting down to watch a full Otani game. And I think that's pretty common. And I, I don't see how you can be fatigued... If you're not doing that, it, it seems like I have more Otani to give. Makes sense. I, I think what we are all really longing for, right, is is Otani in the postseason. That's what people really want to see. It's like, okay, put this guy on the biggest stage in a game where the other team has definitively rolled out their best nine. You know, it's not just like a random Wednesday in Houston. You know, like just let's see him start a game one of the postseason. And, you know, the Angels, as as Nez said, are they have a shot. I mean, I, I don't know if they have enough to, you know, but then again, there's so many, I don't know, there's like everyone's getting in the postseason this year. So maybe they look legit in a way that they haven't in years past. And so that is encouraging because obviously, you know, the one thing that this sport has been missing in the past you know, seven years is its best player hasn't played in the postseason, right? Mike Trout hasn't been there since 2014. And the opportunity to get 
Trout and Otani back to the postseason or into the postseason, I guess, is really, really alluring, I think. And that that's I, that's what I think everyone wants with Otani, you know. I like the languid professionalism of the, the regular season, and I like, you know, the, the, the way it sort of unfolds. But I, I October the, is the best part, I think, as someone without a rooting interest in a team. And so I'd like to see that. I can't imagine anything better than the Angels getting into the wild card game and them deciding do we put Shohei on the mound and sort of tax him that way, or uh, you know go with the Detmers or Syndergaard or whoever else they want to go with. Uh, but Shohei on the mound in the wild card game that'd be sweet. Do they still have the wild card game? I think it's the wild card series now. Oh come on! Oh that's come great. On baseball, stop changing on me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like I, I, I just found out they're not doing too. seven inning no hitters or seven inning uh, what call it? <laughs> I do think that the postseason is a lot of people, I don't know, they have in their brains that you'll see those tweets or you'll see those articles that say game one of the World Series had lower ratings than last Sunday's Browns Jets game on ESPN. And people make a big deal of that. It really undersells how much fun it is to be a baseball fan during, especially for me, my sweet spot is the championship series when you have four teams that are still active and you're trying to figure out who's going to the World Series. That is the best week of baseball, in my opinion. And to have Shohei Otani in that position, specifically when you have every baseball fan having something to care about, and if Otani's in there, it's going to be berserk in a good way. It's going to be this... Uh, attention to Trout, to Otani, to every, and then that will spill over into just baseball in general, just attention to baseball. That is the dream. So what I'm getting at is, do you think Manfred's going to rig the season? No, I'm just, no, but it's like, seriously, that's the dream. It's just to have him in the championship series and have all eyes on baseball. If you were going to rig things, this, this would be a little bit of a better path to do it because like Shohei's MVP season was sort of wasted on a fourth place finish. Wait a second. Which uh, who is the worst umpire in baseball in your opinion? I think they're all good. Well, no, no, give me one name. One name that comes into your mind right away. Angel Hernandez. Connect the dots, people. Angel Hernandez. The Angels need to be in the championship series. I've heard Angel Hernandez is a very nice man. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. I, I bet actually he don't is. have the strongest takes on umpires. I have another Angels thought. I just want to say. Anthony Rendon went up left-handed and hit (laughs) a home run on a 45-mile-an-hour pitch. Can we stop complaining about the baseballs? (laughs) I'm sorry. Like, I get it. Trust me. When I go to the batting cage, the last time I did, you know, six years ago, I didn't hit it as hard as I thought I would. It's not because the ball was messed up. It's because I didn't do my job. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. 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 Just maybe. Maybe. It's not always the baseballs when a guy hits a ball hard and it doesn't go out. When the last time I was in a batting cage, they had like these uh, uh, dividing sections between the different cages. And I fouled the ball off and it hit the brick retaining thing and hit me in the face. And I'm going to say that was the baseball's fault. That wasn't me. It was Manfred's fault. Thanks, Manfred. I, yeah, I barreled that sucker up. Getting back to where this conversation belongs, I have Anthony Rendon on my fantasy team, and <laughs> I got I got the alert that he'd homered, and it says nothing about like off of a position player. It doesn't tell you that he batted left-handed. And it was the next day I saw it on Twitter, and I was like, "Wait, wait! I guess that counts. I guess that's a home run oh, for my, my so ball team." Awesome. That was great. 
that's a new level of blowout fun because blowouts can be fun. We had Albert Pujols pitching. That's fun. You had Evan Longoria get a hit off Albert Pujols and then do the, the international I want the ball thing. That's fun. You know, of course you want that ball. But that's the next level, going up there and trying to jack a home run off of Brett Phillips left-handed. Can I tell you my one experience batting left-handed in a game? All right, I'll go for it. It was my first year of uh, first year of what's that, whatever's after coach pitch, so the actual kid is pitching. And I'm a, I'm a natural righty. I go up there lefty. I always played wiffle ball lefty. And first pitch, I sting one right back up the middle. And a pitcher without moving, it goes right in his glove right by his side. And I just burst into tears and went back to the dugout. And I never did it again. <laughs> no, you should have just blamed the baseball. And then everyone would have stood around you and say, do you think – it's fair what the commissioner's doing with the baseballs. <laughs> no, it's not fair at all what the commissioner's doing with the baseballs, actually. I don't know. I'm not tired of ball chatter yet. Like, I, I think there's still a month left of this. Look, they're not wrong. The players are not wrong. The balls are obviously jacked up. I, I understand. It's just I can't do every day someone, whether it's a team announcer or a player or someone just complaining about the baseballs. I mean, it's been years of this. Like, we're not talking about the last two years. It's like, no, I'm thinking back to 2016 or 17 um, when we had the real, like, uh, home run explosion. Uh, 17. Yeah, 17. I remember going around to, uh, I was covering the Pirates at the time, and they had a couple balls that they were passing around the locker room, baseballs, and the, the pitchers were just, like, feeling like this one's a lot lighter, this one feels a lot more dense, and so... It seemed interesting enough, so I went to talk to a few of them, and I remember talking to Wade LeBlanc, who had a lot of takes, this uh, lefty reliever, a lot of thoughts on on the changing of the ball. And in baseball, to take you behind the scenes, you're not supposed to talk to the starting pitcher that day. He is in his own world, a lot of times listening to, to music, just zoning you out. Media is not to talk to that man. Garrett Cole was pitching that day, and as I'm talking to Wade LeBlanc a couple lockers over, Garrett wheels over in his, his chair, and he just starts like spewing all these takes about the ball. And I was like, dude, I'm not... I'm like, I'm not supposed to talk to you. I just like yeah. <laughs> break the fourth wall. I'm not supposed to talk to you. Like you want to be quoted. He's like, I don't care. Go for it. And they all just had so many thoughts on the ball. And that was, that was like five years ago now. You know, we've been having <laughs> different conversations about the baseball for a really long time. And, and baseball hasn't figured out how to simply take, you know, whatever. They took full control of, 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 you know, the baseball making, I guess, but make a consistent ball that has some tack to it. They haven't somehow figured that out over the last five years. So even if it's not the ball, even if it's talent level, when we're talking about 1968, the baseball as a whole hits 237 uh, on base percentage, 299, slugging 340. In 2022, same thing. Batting average, 234 as a, as a league in general. On base percentage, a little bit higher at 307. Slugging, higher at 376. So it's basically 1968 with a few extra dingers. Is it a good product? Do you like this kind of baseball? Does it make every run that much more important? Or would you rather see more big beefy boys bash dingers? You'd probably like a happy medium somewhere between dead ball era and like 2019. Where like, you know, I I was actually looking at the Yankees, like 2019 Yankees recently. And there's like eight guys on that team who hit like 15 homers or more who are like out of baseball. At this point, like, like not like not out, out of baseball is a bit strong, but like currently batting 125 for, you know, in AAA type stuff, or, you know, or in announce booths. And you want it to be somewhere in between. But like, I, I think that this version, this version feels more fair to me 
then I'm using scare quotes when I say fair, then the version in 2019 where it was like every ball that got hit hard felt like it was just going to the moon. You know, uh, like everything that was remotely barreled up seemed like it was just soaring out. Like that didn't feel totally right. Is the, the reason for that ugly slash line, right? Like some of it is the composition of the baseball. Some of it's the weather has been awful. But most of it, right, is just pitching's really good. Defense and the is actual better. defense is much better than it was. Like shifts. defense has never been better with the shifts and, you know, just the general athleticism. And then just the actual skill of hitting has never been less prioritized than it is now. I think that all tracks. I, I don't think when I watch baseball right now, I, I'm not thinking, oh, this is just garbage. When can we get back to it feels natural when you're watching it. And then well, I look fine. at the numbers and I go, oh, my gosh, like we're, we're living in 1968. But when you're watching, I mean, and you mostly watch the Giants who are a good team, right? Like, I mean, it might, you know, like if Nez was watching the Pirates every day, you know, you might be like, good grief, this product is brutal, right? So I think that's part of it, right? Like and I've spent most of my year around the Mets. And they're like a good team who makes contact and actually like plays a good brand of baseball. And so I think some of it, but yeah, I have the same experience where I'm watching and I'm like, yeah, it's good, good game. You know, like more people should watch this game. It's fun. I tend to be pretty, I don't know, agreeable with baseball. Like maybe I'm not quite old enough that I saw a ton of different eras of the game and I want it the way it used to be. Like I, I'm able to appreciate whatever the current product is. And that, that may change at some point. But I have a lot of these conversations with my dad, who's, who's very old school, wants to see more action, more high average guys, more speed in the game, uh, more defense with uh, uh, more beating the shift is is a big thing for him. Hit it where they ain't. So I, I may get there someday. But right now, it's like if we're going to have a bunch of beefy boys blasting baseballs, like I'm, I'm here for it. I, I love it. Show me Luke Voigt hitting a ball uh, 500 feet. But and I can also really appreciate the pitching side of the game, sequencing, uh, pitch design. Like, oops, uh, we're not supposed to say that. I apologize. Um, any of that, I can, I can, Smoke I can appreciate. Uh, wow, my mic just got cut. That was weird. I can appreciate that side of the game as well. I, I like watching the the pitcher catcher relationship during a game pitchcom whatever i like tech so i can appreciate a lot of different things about the current game i don't need it to change but i also can tell yeah it wouldn't hurt to have a faster game it wouldn't hurt to have more balls in play it wouldn't hurt to have uh you know a ball that the players aren't complaining about nonstop. the pitchers from a tacky perspective the hitters from a deadness perspective so yeah I, i'm not mad about the what where baseball is today but i understand that some change could be really positive and not you know batting 200 around the league is not a positive change it's continuing to trend in the wrong direction all right we're going to move from low batting averages to no batting averages where we're going to talk about no hitters another smooth segue i'm just on fire with those so hunter green threw a combined no hitter against the pirates and he lost the reds lost hunter green threw seven in one third no hit innings uh, art warren came in for two thirds of a no hit inning and the pirates beat the Reds one to nothing. Question, is this funny or tragic? Is it a tragic comedy? How funny is it? This makes me laugh. Should it? Should I feel bad about this? I'll open it up. It is funny. You should not feel bad for laughing. I was watching it live and the only unfortunate thing was that it was kind of clear by the start of the eighth inning that Hunter Green wasn't going to be around to finish the game. Um, He was already up over 100 pitches and honestly kudos for them letting him come out for the eighth inning but he walked uh, i think he got one out and then walked two guys and it was clear like he might finish the eighth inning he won't 
get a chance at the ninth. And the baseball world always goes up in arms as soon as someone is yanked with the possibility of a no-hitter or perfect game, uh, as we saw earlier this season with, with Clayton Kershaw. So honestly, it was kind of covering my ears for what was to come if he if they got a combined no-hitter, which uh, turns out they did. It was pretty funny. I'll be honest. I turned it. I was I was in the middle of like moving around, moving stuff around the the house, and so I turned it off after he was pulled. And so it was, I only got the notification a little while later that the Pirates had won. I said, "Oh, they must have gotten a hit." And I checked the box score, and it was like, "Nope, nope." Another walk, and then uh, I think it was a ground out or maybe a sack fly. So it's a beautiful, beautiful game. I didn't like that they send him back out for the eighth. I think you're setting the young man up to fail. I'm kind of with you. I just think that's a lot of pitches on an arm that only recently got healthy again. He's never going to finish. The, he's never finishing the game. And, you know, like, he's the future. He's like the only thing you have. Like, all you have, if you're the Reds, is Hunter Green and, like, Joey Votto's, like, TikTok account at this point. Like, that's all that they have. Tyler Stevenson. He's good. Sure. Whoever that is. You know, like, good player. Definitely, but like I, I don't, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's like needlessly. I just don't, you know, like to what benefit sending him back out for the eighth, knowing that he just can't finish it. Like unless, unless they were just gonna let him go, you know, Edwin Jackson, and you know, go like 150 pitches. But that, I don't know. It's nice to see Hunter Green have success. He's obviously a super talented pitcher who I think a lot of people have invested hopes in not you know not just in Cincinnati and so it's nice to see him get success because he was having a bit of you know trouble and so like I, I I don't know it would it be better for baseball if the idea of a no hitter was like uh, uh, de- made less important it could be yeah I don't know I so if you're the Reds and you get this sort of cursed monkey's paw no hitter in a season like this I do want to de-emphasize the no-hitter, but at the same time, if you're the Reds, you need something. Like, just that isolated game. If you're watching a bad team all season, that no-hitter is an oasis. And to have a cursed monkey monkey's paw no-hitter in this kind of season feels especially cruel. Like... It maybe should be de-emphasized, but if you're on a if you're following a bad team, it should be emphasized even more, perhaps. And this just felt extra cruel, which is why I was giggling a little bit when I introduced it. <laughs> and this is from a team that like values winning right now. He would not have gone out for the eighth inning. This is a starting rotation that has like an eight ERA, and he was entering the game with like a eight ERA. So yeah, he was not especially running out of gas. He was not the best pitcher out there in a zero zero game in the in the bottom of the eighth inning. So. That's one thing that certainly would have changed. I think over 100 pitches, he wouldn't have been back out there. But yeah, I do think it would help to have the no hitter de-emphasized because it really, it almost it takes a bunch of cards out of your hand if you're the manager. Like because suddenly the fans are like, they have massive demands for how you're going to handle this game, what this kid deserves, what this moment deserves, what the fan base deserves. Suddenly, like the fans think that they deserve this no hitter, regardless of like whether this kid's coming back from a shoulder injury or you know whether Clayton Kershaw thinks he should stay in the game. Uh, I'm just thinking back to that event where he walked off the field smiling. He knows the cameras are on him. He's all happy, high-fiving everybody, and like Twitter is melting down <laughs> because he just got yanked from this game. And I was like, I think he he seems like he's fine with coming out of this game. And I I just think there's so much so much to these if we could somehow like reserve all of our takes for after we hear from everyone after the game and see if the pitcher is pissed off but if they went six no hit innings that's nowhere near a nine you know or or even the madison bumgarner seven no hit innings that's that's really not that close to uh an actual no hitter there's a lot of work left to be done so i'd at least like the no hitter to be de-emphasized until later in like a true like eighth or ninth inning 
you you lose a lot of no hitters in the, in the late innings if you watch the uh, Dave Steeb documentary. He did it a bunch of times. Technically, what Hunter Green did was not a technical no hitter, and I know this because I wrote about the Andy Hawkins no hitter in uh, nineteen eighty eight. I think and that was oh ninety one. Okay, so that was one of the first times that I actually put on like journalism pants, and I went out and I talked to Andy Hawkins, and I I contacted the National Baseball Hall of Fame for research assistance, and I wrote this very long article specifically because. It fascinated me, the idea that you could lose this no-hitter. And so my medium to spicy take right now is that if I'm a Reds fan, I am appreciating this version of a no-hitter more. This is something I'm going to remember more. It's going to have more of a stamp of that 2022 season on it. And I think it's hard to see now because there's recency bias and you're just a little too close to the glare of it. But I, in a year, two years, if I'm a Reds fan, I'm appreciating the hell out of this even more. It just seems like it's a more noteworthy achievement than what Reed Detmers did. No offense to Reed Detmers, but, you know, that's that's a no-hitter. That's just a no-hitter no-hitter. But the Hunter Green no-hitter, ooh, even if it's not a real no-hitter, that's that's better. It's better. Do you know who was uh, coaching third base for the Yankees that day? Uh, I don't think I do. I don't think I do. It was Buck Showalter. Oh, my god! And so after the, uh, after the Mets combined no-hitter this year – bunch of the relievers were all sitting around, I guess, like waiting to for the press conference to start. And uh, he was talking to, I think it was Edwin Diaz, and he was like, you know, I was coaching third base when, when a no-hitter and we lost. And he was like, a no-hitter and you lost? <laughs> Four to nothing. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, yeah. And he was like, that's bad luck. <laughs> that is, it, it was, I mean, there was bad luck. There was Jim Leyritz in left field, which if yeah. you followed the career of, of Jim Leyritz. Yeah, it was super crazy windy that like was knocking balls out back into the ballpark. But it wasn't just Jim Leyritz twisting around and falling down. It was uh, uh, Jesse Barfield, one of the greatest right fielders I've ever seen, uh, making a misplay because the sun was in his eyes. It's funny. It's a funnier no-hitter than whatever Andy Hawkins could have done with the forgettable Yankees team in the 80s. It's better this way. Well, and it's also, right, it's taken on a place, a point in Yankees lore for like a lot of sort of Yankee hagiography like it represents like the nader right it represents like this is like the fall of the yankees right and so maybe like if the reds ever you know turn this around like this will be seen as a similar sort of like uh you know epochal sort of event or it'll just be a thing that made you laugh are we just narrative junkies is that all we are yes what what you think i like stats (laughs) what you know I just, you know, because I feel the same way that you, Reds now have a chance to look back at that. And that is like a tattoo you have on your upper arm. And you say, like, I was there, 2022. You can't see this on the podcast when I'm pointing to my upper arm on the Zoom call. But, like, it just, it feels like, because I remember Giants teams that were just terrible, absolutely bad. And that those are the teams I grew up with. Uh, Johnny LaMaster wearing boo on his jersey. And you were there for the time that Candy Maldonado slid and didn't get the ball in the NLCS. That resonates to a certain type of sicko, of which I'm proud to be a member. And I think that Reds fans should appreciate the hell out of this no-hitter. And I also think in the, whatever the career of Hunter Green becomes, this is a, a defining moment of his, his rookie year where he has been He's been okay. He's been all over pitching ninja and things like that, right? He's got some devastating pitches, but as far as putting it all together and and not walking people and, and striking out the whole world, he's been pretty hit or miss. You know, he's he's been considering what they have in that rotation and how bad it's been. He's been pretty good, but still, we're talking about an ERA north of. He entered the game with a seven something. I'm looking at seven six two. So to have that, yeah, this will be this will be the start of everyone's story when he figured things out. 
This has been episode seven of the roundtable. Uh, <laughs> episode seven of the roundtable. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back next week. I want to thank uh, Stephen Nesbitt. This is why you're the all-time leading guest on this podcast, because you, you bring good content. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. We will be back next week with another guest, perhaps, he says. Open-ended question. I think so. We'll see you then.